Hello, Career Cohort. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Emily Wong, founder of Words of Distinction. We talk about tools for achieving career success, inspirational stories about overcoming career and life challenges, and how we can recalibrate our perspective to better enjoy the journey forward. Today's conversation is for you if you've ever felt confused or overwhelmed by all the acronyms and possibilities regarding equity and how to negotiate that piece of the job offer puzzle. One thing we never want to do is leave money on the table. And that's something my guest today, Richard Archer, can help us avoid. As a financial planner at Archer Investment Management, Richard helps high-achieving professionals make smart, intentional, and strategic choices with their money. He believes you can make responsible financial decisions for tomorrow without ignoring what your soul needs today. His number one goal for you and all the clients he works with is to change your relationship with money from a place of fear to one of freedom. And that last part of his bio is so important because talking about equity can really make some of us, including yours truly, sweat. And today he'll talk specifically about equity and how you can negotiate that within your offer package. So let's dive in. Richard, I'm so glad you're here to talk about how we can negotiate more equity compensation when we're taking on a new job. And there's so many acronyms and components of total compensation. And I think candidates get confused, if not downright intimidated. So welcome. And I'm so grateful that you're going to talk about this and help clear some things up for us. Yeah, this is a really important topic, and it can be a stressful time when you take a new job. I mean, you've got the application process done, all the phone calls are done, your interviews are done, you have an offer in hand, um, you've landed the job, and now the specifics of the offer become really important. And um, you feel like you're done, but you're really not. You're not done yet. And typically, um, we help our clients negotiate their new packages, including stock options and restricted benefits, things like that, and also retirement plans and exit packages and all of that. And we can typically help clients see 15 to 25% increase in equity compensation or even sometimes total comp um, just by asking the right questions and making sure that their new employer knows the value they're bringing to the table. Right, right. And yeah, we don't want to find out later what we could have learned or we could have learned from Richard Archer, right? Um, So if we could just start with just a little primer about what types of equity might be included in an offer package. Sure. So equity can come in a lot of different ways. Sometimes you have equity compensation, such as restricted stock or incentive stock options or non-qualified stock options. You can also get equity through employee stock purchase plans and being eligible to participate in those. Those can be incredibly valuable. And you also might have employer stock in your 401k. Maybe that's how they do their match. Or maybe you're able to buy employer stock through your 401k. So there's different ways that it can show up. Let's talk a little bit about the difference between private and public companies Mm -hmm. globally, because I understand there are different options that they offer and there are benefits to each, correct? Yeah. So in general, public companies tend to be larger than private companies most of the time. And so when you're joining a private company, that stock might have a greater probability of 
a lottery win, if you will, growing really quickly as opposed to, you know, you join an Apple, it's stock does very well, but the chance of it tripling in size in the next 10 years, you know, are a lot lower than for a company that's a startup that could get purchased in three years for $100 million and you've got 1% of the stock. That'd be amazing. So that's one thing. The private stock tends to have more growth potential. Another thing about them is that public companies have a market valuation. So when you look on Yahoo Finance or wherever, you know, Morningstar, and you look at the stock value, you can see that Apple shares are selling for X dollars right now. And a private company has an internal valuation provided by an internal auditor. That internal valuation can sometimes be quite stale, especially now. So you have to be careful that you feel that the internal valuation that they're projecting for you in your offer is fair. Why would it possibly be stale right now? Yeah, it's a good question. So public markets, they're live. Everything's valued every day based on all the new information and the current state of the economy. Private companies typically have 409A valuations on an annual basis. So you could have an internal valuation or a 409A valuation that's you know 11 months old. Well, Anyone who's looked at the market in the last 12 months knows that tech stocks have had a really hard time that layoffs have increased over the last 12 to 15 months. And that old valuation could be 50 or 75% higher than the actual valuation right now. Mm. So we actually had a client who took an offer at a big tech company um, that was private, and she based her uh, house purchase decision and, and acceptance of the job on the valuation provided by HR, which was old numbers and rosy projections, you know, where she thought she was going to have $8 million in five years is now probably closer to about 1.5. And she bought this fabulous house here in Texas and is now panicking a little bit because she bought more house than she probably should have based on the valuation provided. And keep in mind, this is a new client to us, so we weren't a party to that discussion. <laughs> yeah. Beforehand, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was mentioning, too, that it's always good to have you on the front end, your expertise on the front end. And by the way, I want to do a little plug for you and Emily Rassam. You do a wonderful short on LinkedIn a couple of times a week, right? And so at the end, we'll talk about how people can reach you and connect with you on LinkedIn, but highly recommended. They're true nuggets of information. Yeah. On those little shorts, we like to talk about whatever our clients have faced that week. And we figure if it's happened to one of our clients, it's probably important to a lot of our other clients and maybe others on the internet and, and LinkedIn who want to uh, not make big money mistakes. Right. And you talk about things that I haven't talked about. Uh, I haven't thought about myself. So sometimes you're even getting ahead of the curve. Right. Mm -hmm. So you talked about so the mistakes that people can make and what are some questions they can ask on the front end so they can avoid these big mistakes later? Yeah, it's so important. And it's not too hard. I mean, the first thing you've got to know, and it probably helps even during your negotiations, is to figure out what you currently get for compensation and what accolades you've had at your current job. And it can help you negotiate a better job offer. So, you know, having your original offer and your history of raises, you know, accomplishments and accolades that you've had, any teams that you've run or new certifications that you've gotten at your current job, you know, looking at your benefits package, like your 401k summary plan description. Most people don't ask for that, but that document is incredibly valuable to someone like us, someone like me. We love it when our clients send us their summary plan description so we can read all the details of your 401k plan and look for ways to make you more money, right? Mm -hmm. Also, a listing of all your current grants, like your restricted stock or stock options. I got a quick story on that. I had a client who negotiated as a salesperson for a tech company, was moving to a competitor, and he 
had negotiated his entire offer, had a nice salary coming in. He called me. He's like, is there anything that I've forgotten to do? And I said, well, in the next six months, you're going to vest $235,000 of restricted stock in your current company. Did you mention that to your new employer? I said, because they really want you based on the package that they're giving you. Mm -hmm. I said, you know what? You don't have to be rude about it or to act like you're greedy. Just say, listen, I'm giving up $235,000 in stock. And he sent them an email, just like very factual. Within an hour, they gave him an immediately vesting grant of $235,000 of stock in the new company once he signed his offer letter. So wow. just a simple email, quarter million dollars, just remembering what you're making right now and making sure you're paid appropriately at your next job. Right. And the other thing is, you know, looking at pay time off and other perks and any restrictive covenants that you have currently that you may not have. And maybe they give you some more freedom. Maybe there's not a non-compete at the next job. Things like that to think about that you forget in the anxiety-ridden interview process, especially when you're interviewing with multiple companies. It can be really hard to remember to do all these things or remember to think about all these things. You talked about potentially leaving money on the table with this gentleman with a Mm $250,000. What are some other ways that you see people leaving money on the table? Yeah, this is a really interesting question. And this one's a little bit more nuanced. So when you're negotiating a new job, you want to think about what's the best type of compensation for you in your situation. Okay. So for somebody who has a lot of risk tolerance and not a lot of need for cash right now, maybe they want to take more stock or maybe options, right? Um, With the potential of greater earnings in the future. Others who, you know, you've got a mortgage, college savings, you're married, whatever, and you've got big expenses right now, um, maybe the cash is more important to you now and the, and the risk of holding a big slug of private stock in particular even is too much. We've got a client who is young, but he's a fantastic engineer, ph- phenomenal engineer, and he keeps getting hired away to new companies. The problem is he's, he's too smart for his own good in some ways because he comes into companies and within a year, he's like employee of the year. He's amazing, but he gets bored easily because he's got this massive brain. He gets bored, and so he jumps to the next company and the next company. And we've actually talked with him about taking more cash up front and less equity because he's not there long enough for it to invest. Right. So it's more valuable for him just to take cash. Even though he has the risk tolerance to take the private stock, we just take cash with him and then invest it elsewhere because it just makes more sense for him. Yeah. And you've written about exercising, timing of exercising. And do you have some advice there for people who are coming into, for example, a private company and they're getting this grant option and then they'll need to exercise that at some point. What do you recommend as far as that timing goes? Oh my gosh, that's a big question. So you have to be really, really careful with the different types of equity compensation that you get because there's multiple types. There's incentive stock options, non-qualified stock options, restricted stock, and others that can be performance shares. And the first thing that we do when we start working with a client with equity compensation is we have some very special tools that allow us to get it all very organized by different type of equity and so that we can map out what's going to hit when and how it's going to affect your taxes in any given year. And then it allows us to look at each individual type of equity and figure out how to minimize the taxes on that and maximize your return because it's a two-part question. 
And it allows us to look at different scenarios. If the stock doubles in price, if the stock falls by 50%, what happens to your taxes? What happens to the overall valuation? And without a special tool, it would be very, very hard for you, especially if you have multiple types of equity, to get your head wrapped around that and minimize the taxes and then incorporate that into the rest of your financial plan. So uh, it's quite a big undertaking, especially for our our C-level clients, mid-career, high achievers with lots of options and and equity, especially sometimes when they have vested equity from previous companies that are still there that we have to incorporate as well. It can get really complex really quickly. So would you say that exercising ISOs sooner rather than later would have the best impact? It, it can. Yeah, it can. So there's there's a couple different nuances there. Exercising incentive stock options or ISOs creates what's called alternative minimum tax. And it sounds really bad. It's not that bad if you're doing multi-year tax planning. The government's just trying to make sure you're paying your fair share of taxes based on the law. So timing that out and then making sure that you have the cash available come tax time to pay those taxes is important. We have a client who works at a tech company here in Austin, really smart guy, really smart guy. He was following our advice and was uh, exercising his ISOs himself. And he actually accidentally exercised the wrong lot and created a $72,000 surprise tax hit that we then all went, oh my gosh, he said I exercised the wrong lot and they won't let me reverse it. And needless to say, we're doing it for him now. Okay, what does exercising the wrong lot mean? Sure. So he had, you know, we'll just give an example, say 5,000 incentive stock options. And when you exercise those incentive stock options, you can create income taxes and create alternative minimum tax exposure. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to exercise the line above the one that he did. So he exercised a lot that he shouldn't have exercised yet and created taxes that we were expecting to pay five or 10 years from now. So we had to quickly rework his entire stock option plan to make sure that we could, you know, help him in the future. Wow. Okay. So there is the the ISOs uh-huh. and then the NQSOs. Non-qualified How, stock options. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there's the RSUs. Yep. Okay. Can you kind of distinguish between those? Yeah. So I'll start with the RSUs because they're the simplest ones and the ones we're seeing the most of right now. The ISOs and the non-qualified stock options were a little more popular five and 10 years ago. They're a little bit less popular right now. They've gone out of favor. Maybe they'll come back in favor. As you move higher up the ranks, those become more popular. But the RSUs are just restricted stock, okay? And it's basically stock that's awarded to you. And the day that it vests or the day that it becomes yours based on your vesting schedule, um, it's taxable as income, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay? And then it's yours to sell. So it's just like they hand you stock and you've got to pay income taxes on it. A lot of plans will withhold the taxes for you at 24% when you sell the stock. So that helps alleviate that potential surprise tax bill down the road. So restricted mm-hmm. stocks is basically they give you stock. Okay. Really okay. straightforward. Day one. Well, or when you're vested. There'll be an award letter and it's yours when it vests. Yes. Okay. Maybe you have to be okay. there a year, two years, three years, or there's a sure. long-term vesting schedule. Right. Um, non-qualified stock options give you the ability to buy your company stock at a particular price once those options vest. So say they became yours today, those options became yours today, you can then buy the stock at a particular price. And hopefully that price you can buy the stock at is below where the stock price is now. Mm. So maybe you can buy your company stock at Apple for $10 and it's now $300. Well, that means that you have a whole lot of value there that you can instantly put in your pocket, 
right? And incentive stock options are similar, except they give you some special ways to avoid paying income taxes. So if you have an incentive stock options and you exercise it and buy the stock at your price, hopefully lower than the current market value, and you hold it for at least two years after the grant date and one year after you exercise, then you get special tax treatment at capital gains rates as opposed to your marginal income tax rate. It's really complicated. It's not so bad. What we do is once we map everybody's, uh, our clients' uh, equity positions out, we go through the taxes and show them drawings about basically a visuals, because it's hard to do this over a podcast, visuals of the tax impact of each type. And then they start to understand, oh, so I want to exercise these in a low tax year. And I want to avoid AMT in this year because we're selling out whatever is going on in their financial plan. And we start to map that out year by year. And they go, okay, this makes more sense. And we can save clients a lot of money in taxes just by getting that organized and timing things out in an optimal way. So you mentioned that RSUs are more popular now. Uh-huh. Why are they more popular? Is it more popular from the side of the company or by the... By the side of the company, yeah. Okay. I actually uh, read an article about a year ago on the tax nuances of why companies, I think they're able to write them off a little bit easier. Um, the tax laws changed a little bit. on. So it's in most companies' interest to give you RSUs right now as opposed to incentive stock options and non-qualified stock options. And there are different, again, different tax implications... Uh-huh depending on, I'm sure, a number of things. But it seems to me that the ISOs are better when it comes to taxes, possibly. They can be the most valuable, for sure. If you can get ISOs, depending on where you're working, but if you can get ISOs or incentive stock options, those are usually the best. And then non-qualified and then restricted stock. Because the ISOs, can, if you handle them properly, can create the lowest tax bill for you. Then non-qualifies mm-hmm. and then restricted stock. You have the least control over your taxes with restricted stock. And I heard you mention earlier that the non-qualified and then the ISOs, they're usually offered at the higher level. Yes. Yeah, the more executive levels, you tend to see those nowadays, you tend to see those more often. The more the company wants you, the more likely you're likely to see those. You know, we, we talk a lot about diversifying, but not about managing our taxes and timing and sales restrictions. So yeah, there's couple of restrictions you typically run into. One is you have to wait for whatever equity compensation, ISOs, non-qualified stock options, or RSUs. You have to wait until they vest, right? You have to wait until they're yours. And that typically, different companies do it different ways, but you may get a quarter of it every quarter or one tranche. So tranches are different lots, if you will. I'm trying to use words that people are used to hearing. Uh, A tranche is basically uh, an award, an award mm-hmm. that you were given of a particular group of stocks, say 500 RSUs, whatever company you're at, that's called a tranche. And those, those can vest at different times. So the number one thing you need to do with any of these is to get it organized. If you're not working with a financial planner, get a spreadsheet out and write them all down and get them organized so you can see when they all vest and when they're going to hit your taxes. Particularly if you just have RSUs, it's easy just to do it on a spreadsheet and you can kind of see when you're going to hit with taxes. So can you talk a little bit more about what those sales restrictions are and what you have to really be aware of when you're, you know, accepting your package and also down the road for your planning? Yeah, absolutely. Besides waiting for them to vest and become yours by whatever schedule your employer gives you, you also can have blackout periods. And that's when you're not allowed to trade the stock, typically around when earnings are announced, especially if you're an insider or somebody who has insider information um, Mm -hmm. at a company, you have specific times when you're allowed to sell. Now, 
on those blackout periods, you got to be really careful. And different stocks act differently. But what can happen is that a lot of people at a company are affected by a blackout period. You're waiting for your earnings announcement from the company to come out, and then you're able to sell. I've seen clients eager to sell because they want to go buy a new Escalade or whatever it is they want to spend, Tesla, whatever they want to spend their money on, and quickly sell that first morning after the announcement, the first day they can. Well, a lot of people who don't typically plan ahead are all selling at the same time. And you can see the stock drop quite quickly for a short period of time as a lot of employees are dumping their stock at the same time. We have, with our clients, learned to maybe take a beat because we know the window's open for 30 days or whatever the time mm -hmm. period is. And maybe we'll let that initial sell, let the market absorb that, and then we'll sell. We've got clients 7 to 10% more in their stock just by being patient and letting all of the herd sell first and let the market absorb it and then come in a little bit later. There's a little bit of risk to doing that, but it's paid off for us um, multiple times. The other thing you need to be careful of, another restriction beyond just those blackout periods and kind of timing those around your company's idiosyncrasies is when you leave a company, you typically have 90 days. It can be as short as 30, but 90 days to exercise any options you have. So that can be particularly hard if you're laid off and you don't have another company to move to and you necessarily don't have a future income planned at this moment, right? Which has happened to a couple of our clients where they were laid off and it could cost them a quarter million dollars in cash to exercise all of their options. And where are they going to get that from, especially if they don't want to sell the stock, right? If it's really good stock, they don't want to sell it immediately. So it can cause a little bit of headaches and cause people to exercise and sell options or stock that they didn't necessarily want to because um, mm -hmm. they don't have the cash handy. So we're always careful about that. And we're talking with clients to make sure that they're, they're saving cash and not running too hot with their finances so they have the ability to cover themselves if they're laid off as a surprise and they've got a lot of options to exercise. That's really good advice. One thing that we tell clients is that when they're negotiating their new job offer, sometimes, depending on how high up you are, sometimes you have the ability to ask them to extend that to a year from just the 90 days. So when you leave a company, just get that in writing while they want you and while you have the most leverage. Um, and yeah. say, hey, if I'm ever laid off, then I have a year to exercise my options. It gives you more time and flexibility to do that in the way that best benefits you. And it may cross over two different tax years so that allows you to exercise and minimize the taxes in the way that's best for you. That's a good segue into exit packages. Like, So if you want to negotiate that exit package on the front end, that's something that you want to consider including, right? Yeah, severance, you know, golden handcuffs, whatever you want to call it, the higher up you are the, and the more specialized skills and, and good you are at your job, frankly, the more leverage you have on the front end. And really good employment attorneys and planners negotiate that severance in detail you know, at the outset so you know exactly. It's kind of like a prenup when you get married, right? You know yep. exactly what's going to happen if things don't go as planned. And those exit packages, at what level do you think it's appropriate to talk to the company about that on the front end when you're just about to get hired? Yeah. So it depends what parts of the exit package you want to negotiate. If it's just a non-compete or if it's golden handcuffs, obviously you're going to see the golden handcuffs and those severance packages mostly in the C-suite, right? Where you're way up the ranks. Most of our clients are mid to late career, high achieving professionals. Most, a lot of them are in tech and, you know, it depends on how badly they want you and how specific your skills are and how hot the job market is. 
And the job market is still hot, even though you wouldn't know to look at the economics right now, but it is still hot and people are finding jobs pretty quickly. Um, the leverage they had and the offers that they're getting that we're seeing are a little bit lower or a little bit less aggressive than they were, say, six months or a year ago, but they're still good. And negotiating you know, a year to exercise your options doesn't really cost them anything. Some of those things that are really valuable to you, it's not like they're having to put more money in your pocket, right? Right. So, you know, negotiating uh, how quickly you get the 401k match and how much paid time off you can get and negotiating that ahead of time because, hey, listen, you know, I'm coming from a job where I got four weeks off and you're only offering two. If you can bump that to four and give me an immediate eligibility for 401k match or immediate eligibility to join an employee stock purchase plan or whatever, that can be incredibly valuable and won't necessarily cost them as much as it benefits you. Right. Or extending their health benefits. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, you know, also I was thinking too about if you have a partner or spouse who has maybe heavy on the equity uh, side, when you're negotiating, maybe you focus more on the cash side. Does that make sense? Yes. And another thing to think about too, is one of our planners, Kate Howerton, she focuses on LGBTQIA plus clients. And one thing that we remind them is to ask whether they give same-sex partner benefits in their health plan. And if they don't, uh, make sure that your partner's got them, right? So got health coverage, whether independently or whether you're covered on their other plan, because the bigger the company, the more likely that is to be true. But with smaller companies with you know, smaller health plans, that may not necessarily be true. So just remembering to ask those questions ahead of time can save you a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then asking that question, I going back to the engineer who keeps moving from company yeah. to company. He's so yeah. great. Yeah. I understand that some companies too will, they want to offer you that options grant because they want to keep you because you won't be able to exercise it until a little bit later, right? Exactly. And we've had some hand-wringing conversations where that's happened, where he's left significant value on the table, but the job and the challenge and the mental stimulus from doing really cool projects is more interesting to him than the money in some ways. Right. Additionally, he's had a couple of companies that the stocks didn't pan out like he thought they were going to. So he's like, you know, I don't feel great about the growth prospects of this anyway. So the stock's down. So I'm not really leaving that much on the table. So I'm not, the, you know, we thought mm -hmm. we were going to get bought out and now the buyout market has slowed down quite a bit. So it's less of a cost than one would think. You know, Richard, I think your advice is valuable to everybody, but especially Gen Z, because when I talk to my son, who's who just entered the full-time workforce in the past year, his friends have no problem moving from company to company. Even in this market, they feel very confident they're going to land, but are they taking into consideration these timing issues. So I think really valuable. I think uh, hopefully you're taking on a lot of new clients in that demographic. Yeah, absolutely. And it used to be that our parents, you know, you stayed at a company 30, 40 years and that's just kind of what it was expected. That's not the case anymore. I think they say that the Gen Z will have between eight and 13 different jobs before they retire. I think yeah. the number might be even higher than that by the time we're done. It's just mm -hmm. a different attitude, right? Have skills, will travel, right? So we've got a client right now who works at a real big tech company and he's been there 13 years and he's, um, you know, just wanting a new challenge. He's been there a long time and we're having a conversation with him next week and we're talking about, hey, this is your vesting period for your next tranche or your next lot of 
stock awards, why don't we sit tight for a minute, get through your bonus period, get through this next vesting so you can gather as much value from this current job this year. In the meantime, you can make some whispers and look around, but let's not leave and take your sabbatical between jobs until, you know, it could be a fifty or $80,000 swing for him just for working an extra two months. So just thinking about that in a, in a very clinical way where he's yes. somewhat more emotional about it because he's just tired. He was a hard worker and he's tired. He's done a really <laughs> good job. I get it. Um, but we can be very clinical about it and just look at the schedule and look at the numbers. So Richard, this was really so helpful. I do hope you'll come on again in the future because I think there's so much to talk about in this area. Do you have anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you really wanted to emphasize before we go? We see this a lot with our clients. We always like to encourage people to toot your horn, toot your own horn in, in the negotiations process. If you've done a good job and you're proud of the work that you've done and you've got some accomplishments, you've led a team, you learned something new, Make sure you tell them because they're not going to know. You know, the new HR department or the hiring officer isn't going to know how good you are. So don't forget to tell them how good you are. And if you're a hard worker, you're committed, um, and you're proud of what you've accomplished, make sure you tell them because it can have a massive impact on what you earn. Right, right. In my role, it's always about getting people to remember their stories of accomplishment. Yep. I feel like people, they remember what they did wrong, but they don't remember what their accomplishments are. Exactly. And yes, bring those to the table and really emphasize that. Because as you've written about and you've warned people about is that if, if you're leaving money on the table now, that accumulates as the years go by. Exactly. Right? It builds, right? Because you start out at a lower point each time than yep. probably your worth. Well, thank you so much, Richard. Can you share how people can get in touch with you? Oh, sure. We're on LinkedIn. We love LinkedIn. We're on there 24 hours a day. So it's just, <laughs> you know, Richard Archer at Archer Investment Management on LinkedIn. And you can follow me and my uh, two other planners. We all publish different types of content based on what we're interested in, but it's all financial planning related and it's all valuable. So if you want some free, actionable financial advice weekly, forever, just follow us on LinkedIn and you'll get a lot of value. I highly recommend that people follow you, Richard. I'm a new big fan. Thanks. Thanks again for joining me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Career Cohort. I'm Emily Wong. You can find all my podcasts and blog posts at wordsofdistinction.net. And if you'd like to chat about how I can help you define the next step in your career and achieve your goals, head on over to the same website and book a time on my calendar for a free consult. In the meantime, please be sure to share, subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you great content. Mm -hmm.